Okay, everyone. Good evening. How are you? Thanks for joining. The night Parsha in my life class, Parsha's Vayera. Anybody that wants to dedicate tonight's class, it's available for sponsorship. Please let me know. Um, you can sponsor it retroactively. And all the merit is yours. So um, you can do that by either going on myon.com slash donate, myon, M-A-A-Y-O-N.com slash donate, or you can contact me, sending us an email or so on and so forth at myon, at office at myon.com. Thank you. Okay, so tonight we have, with Hashem's help, an exciting class on this week's Parsha, a very insightful class, hopefully. And the title of the class is Teaching Angels How to Eat. Is there anything we can teach angels? Angels are enlightened beings. They are extremely enlightened beings. Um, the Rambam, Maimonides, speaks of 10 levels of angels. And, um, and he describes the lowest one, the one that communicates with people, in prophecy, there is a communication coming through angels, like we see this week's in the Torah portion, with the three guests that came to Abraham, to Avram Avinu. Um, those are the lowest form of angels, called Ishim. And uh, usually, I don't know if he says it regarding the guests who came to Avram, because we know that they were the archangels, the higher angels. But in any case, um, he says, even the lowest of angels, being that they're not mortal beings in, encased in bodies of flesh and blood like us, they're their knowledge is way superior to our knowledge. And yet, um, we're talking about teaching them angels something, not only teaching them something, but teaching them how to eat, which would be, sound, which sounds really ridiculous, that they don't have to eat. Why would we teach them how to eat? In any case, the question over here really is all about eating. Is the eating that we know of just a very physical, animalistic type of um, earthly experience? Obviously, it's pleasurable. Obviously, it makes up a lot of our, our, our life. Both our essential living is dependent on food. Also, so much of our enjoyment in life is associated with eating and socializing, parties, events, um, religious ceremonies, um, milestones in people's lives, weddings, bar mitzvahs, um, circumcisions that we read about last week in the Torah, all are commemorated with food. And if you want to bring people together, you're always more successful if you have some food for people to participate. And, and there's also, of course, the eating of the festivals, Shabbos and Yom Tif, which are the holidays it's always associated with eating. So eating is very much part of our life. But generally, it's not necessarily seen as the most spiritual and holy of activities. Yet we can't say that it is devoid of meaning, because why would God create us in a way which so much of our lives would be busy doing something that is utterly meaningless on a spiritual level? So it must be that eating is, um, is very meaningful and ought to be and should be elevated to a higher plane. And as I mentioned in many other classes, we find that it's not the first statement God makes to the human being, but it's the second statement. The first statement is that God tells Adam and Eve, 
pruitive have children. That's the first thing. That they should multiply the earth. The second thing is he instructs them on food. So if it's the second instruction on 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 in life, as he instructs them on eating, what they can eat, what they can't eat, must be that eating is primary on the divine list of jobs to get done. What we need to get done in this world involves eating. It's a very important instruction. So there is eating. But what we will talk about today is the various levels of, of healthy eating, meaning eating that is not just to satisfy the animalistic, or even higher than that, just to take care of our bodies to survive, but eating with a, mist, with a higher intention, which would be more of a mindful eating. But within that itself, we would talk about various different levels of eating. And the ultimate the question is, how will eating become when our animal, when our evil inclination will leave us and we will enter into the enlightenment state of Mashiach, which we are so close now to entering into the messianic higher consciousness of Mashiach, what will eating be like? Will we eat? And if we will eat, what will eating be like then? Will we have a capacity then to eat even on a higher level? Obviously we will, because our level of spirituality will be enormously expanded as our mind will expand our and our recognition of our creator and our recognition of God will reach to the highest, highest levels. So then everything we will do will be elevated to a much higher place, including our food consumption. But will it just be more of what we are with deeper intention of what we're doing today when we are eating properly, or is it actually a complete other type of an experience? A whole, uh, a, a, and on a whole different reality, as we shall see. So this is the subject that we're going to explore today. Why are we talking about this? Because this is associated with something that's related right in the beginning of this week's Torah portion. Abraham, Avram Avinu just had a circumcision. This is where the Torah opens up, the narration of Pasha's Vayera. Avram had his circumcision, and he was, um, three days after his circumcision, he was in a lot of pain, um, and God per- took out, made it very hot outside. No one should come to bother him because Avram was, Avram Avinu was, which means Abraham, our father, I'm going to refer to him as Avram, was um, so um, devoted to the well-being of people and caring for people that he always, he thrived and his pleasure was serving people, feeding them, taking care of their, of their needs, and spiritual needs and physical needs as well. He was the champion of generosity and kindness. He was the most philanthropic person ever to live. He was the embodiment in this world of God's kindness. If God's kindness took on a form and enclosed itself in a body, it was in the body of Abraham, so says the Midrash. So in that case, he was an enormous powerhouse of kindness. But at this moment, he needed to rest. So God prevented him from being kind. But that caused him more pain than his physical pain. So in the end, God had mercy on Abraham and sent him three people who weren't really people. They were angels. And they also had other intentions in coming to visit him because they would bless him. They would deliver God's blessing. And they would also deliver God's timing for when the blessing would come about. Because Abraham and Sarah were blessed already with a promise for children, but it wasn't given to them a specific time. So now the angel came along and notified him that this will happen in exactly one year from now. And this happened on Passover and the angels appeared. Now, during this appearance of the angels, they came. these angels came to him in the form of people. Since they came in the form of people, and it implies from Rashi that Avram didn't even know that they were angels. 
And so therefore he was serving them food. That's what it says. He ran and he begged them to stay over for a while, to sit down under the tree, to wash their feet, then sit down under the tree, to catch their breath, to get a little water. And he said, I'm also going to give you some bread so you can strengthen your hearts. He says, you satisfy your hearts, satiate yourselves, and then you'll continue on your journey. But just like, as it points out, the righteous, they say a little bit and they do a lot. Not like many people who say and talk big talkers and then they do hardly do anything. But Avram is the opposite. It's like, no, we're, we're one night before, before elections. You have all these politicians who promise and promise and promise all kinds of promises and then they don't do anything. Um, Abraham is the opposite. Avram is the opposite. He says, I'm going to bring you a little bit of bread. And at the end, he prepares for them a feast. So he has the bread. Rashi says in the end, he, he tells them he's going to get bread, but there was a technical glitch with the bread. Uh, the bread became ritually impure. In Avram's house, everything was very pure. It was ritually impure because the miracle of the childbirth had begun already. With the coming of the angels, the miracle had begun. And Sarah, our mother, um, went reverted, and she be, went back to her youth. As a, as a result of that, she went back to having a period, to menstruation. And even though she was way past her, her, her time of childbearing years, yet suddenly her body was restored. And as a result of that, she, the, 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 the menstruation causes a ritual impurity to the woman, which can be imparted to the bread, now we have to understand this doesn't mean today's days that when a woman who is, has a period, she, may, she contaminates food, that it's not kosher, that that's not what it means. I'm not going to get into it. But there's a certain sensitivity to food that when you're eating sacrificial meat, for example, uh, uh, this uh, the, the, the becomes impure, then you can't eat it. Abram's house was on a very high level of sanctity and holiness. It was like the holy temple. So the bread became disqualified. Even though Sarah baked fresh, fresh rolls, in the end, he couldn't serve it to them. But what he did bring them was butter, and he brought them meat, tongue, and mustard, and all kinds of delicacies, and it was great. So it says in the verse that Avram stood next to them. Here's the worst verse. And this is in Parak Yud Ches, which means chapter 18, verse number 8, Pasik Ches. He took butter and, and milk and the meat that he made. Obviously, one has to right away notice that Avram is violating the basic laws of the Jewish dietary laws, the Jewish kashrut laws, because you can't eat milk and meat together. So that's a good question, but that's not for now. And he served the, he serves the angel the food. And he stood over them beneath the shade of the tree. Because he, as he, when they came in initially, he told them to take shelter. It was a hot day, so it was hot. He put them under a tree, so the sheep, the tree provided shade. So now he is standing over them, which means beside them, beneath the tree. when they ate. Now they are angels. So what are they doing eating? So um, there are two. Um, Opinions. One opinion is that they that they pretended to eat, but they didn't eat. And the reason they were pretending, because they they, they 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 simply because they had to keep up the disguise that they were humans. Um, but also deeper than that, 
the rule is that a person should try to always conduct themselves in a manner where they don't stand out. Like the, like the saying goes, when you're in Rome, act like a Roman. And that's, the sages actually use that statement, that when, you, when angels come to earth, they behave like humans. But they're behaving like humans is not that they actually, actually behave like humans, but rather that they, it's enough that they appear like they are behaving like humans. So they were able to somehow pull it off that it appeared to Abraham, who was Avram, who was standing over them, that they are eating, but in truth they weren't eating. However, according to the Zohar, it seems to imply that, that the angels were eating. They weren't only pretending to eat, but rather they were eating. And from the not only were they, why were they eating? Because they had an experience of eating that was extraordinarily high meaning that this is a type of experience that angels in general cannot reach angels don't eat if they would eat they're capable only of eating on a certain level um, but at this moment their experience of their eating of the food was like extraordinary it was on the highest highest level the zohar says it was like the eating of above in other words, it was a form of divine eating. Angels are angelic beings. They're not divine. Divine meaning that it would be an extension of God. And angels are beings. They can be emissaries of the divine, messengers of God, but they're not God. Sometimes people will refer to angels as divine beings, but it's not really divine. Divine means Hashem. And only there is only one creator. It's only God. But this type of eating that they ate was mimicking, or not just mimicking, was actually on the level of divine eating, whatever that means. That's what it implies in the Zohar. So the, based on this, um, we will spend some time. What does this mean? Now, how did angels attain such a level? Well, that's what the verse is saying. It's angels have no, no relationship to that type of eating. This is a form of eating. This is messianic eating. This is the type of eating that's going to be in the future. It's, 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 it, do, it doesn't even belong to our taste. A little taste of this type of eating, we have a little bit on Shabbos, as we will soon discuss, that the Shabbos um, meals that we eat is a resemblance of this type of an eating. This type of an eating was an eating that the Kohanim, the priests in the temple, in the Beis Amigdash, the Kohanim in the Beis Amigdash, the priests in the temple, when they ate sacrificial meat, they were on this level of eating, which is a form of eating that is even beyond angelic. It's a form of divine eating. And another possibility of that type of eating are even today's days when there is no temple, and even during the weekday, when it is not Shabbos, there are super tzaddikim. There are some very, very, very high level souls, very high, very few in, in, in a generation that have this level of holiness and godliness that they their food and their eating is always on this level one of these people obviously was abraham avram avinu he was a super soul capable of this type of eating now but the beautiful thing was that avram was able to share this experience with the angels meaning to say it seems from the simple story that when the angels when the malachim came down to eat they were coming down to eat in other words it was a diminishment of 
who they were, were and what they were so much so that according to the Midrash, they only pretended to do it. It's too animalistic, it's too lowly, it's too earthy, it's too, it's too human to do so. It's not befitting them to eat. So their eating was inferior to their normal state. But what we are learning now is the opposite. Because they were next to Abraham, Abraham was able, Avram was able to lift the angels up. Avram Avinu was able to lift the angel up to such a high level that they were able to eat similar to the way he eats. He lifted them into his experience. And this was a one-time experience for the angels and they never forgot it. Um, so we need to understand what is what does this mean? And which by the way also teaches us that um, although for most souls until the complete revelation of Mashiach, until we're fully in the Messianic time, even though Lubavitcher Rebbe said, today's days we are already in the beginning of that era. Which means that we are capable already today to a certain degree to start experiencing these experiences. Obviously, it takes uh, some spiritual exercises to get there. But we are, it's, 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 we're capable to a certain degree. However, uh, most of us are not conscious on this level of consciousness. But when the Beis HaMikdash will stand and Moshiach will be fully revealed to our eyes, and we will all have already all the benefits and all the blessings that come in the messianic era where we will be able to devote ourselves 1000% of our being to, only to spiritual growth and connection to God, then we will reach um, this very, very heightened level. Yet, through connecting ourselves to the right people, like the idea of the angels catching a, catching a hitch Abraham Avram was able to hitch the angels up and take them for a ride um, on, on his shoulders and take them to the level of eating that he ate. So we can also, through connecting ourselves to the highest tzaddik, when we bond our souls with, with these super souls, then through they can bestow on those that are connected with them also this level of eating. Okay. So now let's understand what are these level that we're talking about, what is the... So what we're basically going to explore is obviously there is what's called animalistic eating, and that's unholy. Not only unholy, I mean, it's something we all do. It can be kosher. We're not talking about kosher. First thing is we have to make sure that the food that we eat is kosher. That goes without saying. So once we have kosher food, yet the eating of food could be a unholy experience, purely earthy, human, or even worse, animalistic. And then it is not productive to our spiritual growth. It's not an enhancer, quite on the contrary. It is an impediment to spirituality. It's a coarsening of a person's ego and a person's self. The food that one eats brings a person down if we're not careful. But then um, there is, so that, that's not what we're going to explore today. Because that doesn't need a lesson. That happens naturally. We're born, we gravitate, we, we love, we want french fries and ketchup and all kinds of other, what we might call in Yiddish chazarai, just the enjoyment of physical food without any higher purpose and intention. So that we don't need to explore because everybody knows what that is. Um, what we will explore is two forms of eating. A positive, holy eating, which is a, which is, meant for most of us all the time, we'll call that weekday eating or 
or or current day eating, current day spirituality, or we might say, um, we'll soon see, it's the eating of the altar. The sages say that today's days that we don't have a mizbeach, we don't have an altar, the table of a person is considered their altar. So this type of eating would be where our food and our table is in the place of the holy altar in the temple. The Mizbeah. So this is phenomenal. We would think that this is like max. If your table can be the same like the holy altar in the holy temple. And yet we say that's only stage one. That's considered weekday eating. It's considered, it's considered average soul eating, meaning it's not the great tzaddikim will eat this way. It's the average soul, average person who has an, an ordinary soul. And that's the capability of that soul to eat. And um, it is the eating of the altar. But then there is a higher form of eating. And that's what we're going to try to explain today. What is that higher form of eating, which is divine eating, which manifests self, itself as the eating of the human. Well, when I say the eating of the human, I mean the eating of the priests, of the, of the, of the Kohen. And here is an astonishing fact. In the temple, in the Beis HaMikdash, there were... Um, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that were bought, animal, bird, and sometimes meal offerings, were consumed by two parties. It was consumed by the altar, by the Mizbeach, and then it was also consumed, parts of it was consumed by the Kohen, by the priest. Now, it would be common thinking that the eating of the altar is the holy, holiest thing. You take part of the animal, you take the blood, Certain fats and certain parts get placed on the altar and it gets consumed by this heavenly godly fire. We also know that a fire came down from heaven and consumed it. I mean, there's nothing higher than that. It's like God comes down to pick it up. This is like spectacular. Yet, and then there is another. After that was done, then the food was delivered to the priest, to the Kohanim, and the Kohanim would eat. So we might think, okay, that's like, okay, the Kohen, these are obviously... The, the, these were people officiating in the holy temple they had a high level of spirituality but you can't compare it to the eating of the altar it's a lower form of eating so we say no and that's the shocking statement of today the reason why the kohanim needed to wait they were not permitted to eat until the altar ate until they put the, the other part on the altar it wasn't simply as we understand it i mean i'm not saying it's not Obviously, on the simple, more level of Torah, where we look at things on a more superficial level, yes, that's the reason. You can't eat before the king eats. First give the king to eat, and then the servants can eat. But on a much deeper level, it's because the eating of the angels, I'm sorry, the eating of the Kohanim, of the priests, was a much higher form of eating than the eating of the altar. It was a higher, it was a, it was a of greater div divine significance and a greater divine act. And that's why they would wait till the lower level was achieved. And only after we achieve the lower level can we ascend to a much higher level. And that was the eating of the high priest. Similar to the same system we have with us as well. Shabbos is the last day of the week. First comes the six days of the week and then comes Shabbos. In both of them we eat. And during the week we eat, and then on Shabbos we eat. And as we said earlier, eating during the week can also be made holy. 
We make a blessing before it, and when we're supposed and when we're mindful, our eating can be very, very significant. It can even have cosmic significance. We're actually doing a very big tikkun in the world. We're moving the world to its ultimate perfection through eating, as seen as we said before, through the commandment of Hashem to Adam. The second commandment is you should eat. So eating is very, very important. But yet, it is a preparation. It's a lower level eating, which conditions us when we eat the right way. So when Shabbos comes, we can be propelled to a much, much infinitely higher level. And then our eating on Shabbos is is on this greater level, similar to the priests eating after the altar eats. So this is the, 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 this, and the same is also, as we said earlier, the difference between ordinary people and Sadiqim, the great righteous people, who their eating is always on the level of the priests, and our eating is like the level, eating of the level of the altar. But through our bonding with the Tzadik, as we mentioned earlier, we can hitch up with them and have somewhat of their experiences as well. And in the days of Mashiach, we will all be tzaddikim. We will all have that higher level. And the Rebbe is basically saying that we can start practicing that a little bit today because we are already in the twilight zone as the exile is fading away and the redemption is coming in. We might not fully be cognizant of that. We might not see it on the most outer, outer, outer crust of existence, especially if we're not tuning our eyes to see differently. So we're still seeing the darkness, but um, it's more a problem in our vision than of reality. In reality, the world is already morphing into its ultimate messianic state. And uh, therefore, when we are trust that and believe it and start operating. And I noticed the other day, we just changed the clock. And suddenly, it's like Sunday afternoon, and it's really supposed to be, what is supposed to be four o'clock, but it's five o'clock. It's suddenly dark early, you gotta rush to Mincha, you gotta, you know, afternoon rain. And I was thinking, it's like amazing. It's like people decide that the reality has changed. It's like millions of people all make the same decision. And suddenly it's so real that the time is different. It's like, it's. It's not like you're sitting there saying, it's really seven. I mean, you, you still struggle with that the first day. Well, you know, one or two days, you're still thinking, oh, it's really seven still, it's really eight. Is it eight? Is it really seven? I'm still, especially if you didn't fail to change your clocks, if you don't have a digital clock that changes automatically, you're still like, you know, uh, back and forth. But it just teaches you the power of the mind. When the mind decides something, then it changes reality, which brought to me this idea that when the Rebbe said, Mashiach is here and we should shift our minds, how powerful that would be if we the more we can get people to do that how that will actually change reality because when we see things differently the reality really changes it's a different set of time so that's the uniqueness of the time we're in right now we're in at a different zone okay based on all of that let's quickly understand these two levels of eating how they what they mean eating on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a lower level and eating on a higher level. So it's based on the concept, going back to the, I mentioned earlier that there were two types of eating, the eating of the altar and the eating of the, of the, um, of the Kohen. This concept is taken from a verse in Parshas Kedoshim, which is in Vayikra Leviticus 19, Perik Yotes, Pasuk, um, Zion, 
The verse says, And if it would be eaten, it's referring to sacrificial meat, and it says, if it was eaten, it was eaten. It mentions eating twice, so the sages make a comment on it, that there's two achilas, there's two types of eating. There's achilas mizbeach, there is the eating of the altar, and there's achilas adam, there is the eating of man. I think the words are. In two eatings, the verse is eating is referring to the eating of the altar. That's the when we put the sacrificial meats on the altar, the fats and the various different parts that would go on the altar on the Mizbeach. And then there's the eating of the Kohanim, the eating of the priest. These are the two forms of eating. So um now this is, as I mentioned earlier, in the temple. Holy eating on two levels. Now, to get a little bit more understanding of the two forms of eating, so I will share with you a verse, a pasuk, that says as follows. This is a verse in Mishlei. Mishlei in Proverbs, Perek Yud Gimel, chapter 13, Proverbs 13, verse 25, pasuk Chafei. It says like this. Tzadik oichel, the tzadik, the righteous one, eats with soiva nafshoi to the satiation of his soul. But the stomach of the wicked is techsar, is lacking. So the, the simple meaning of this verse is we're talking about two, two forms of eating. But one of them is the eating of the wicked, and the other one is the eating of the righteous. So it's saying that the righteous people holy people righteous people that are have a that have a higher purpose in life don't eat just for the for the for the um enjoyment for the pleasure they eat to satiate their soul in other words to to, to you know to, to survive and it's not about the pleasure or the experience of the food it's about you know because their meaning in life is not the physical enjoyment they enjoy prayer much more they enjoy Torah study much more. They enjoy doing helping people much more. But in order to keep your, you have to fuel your engine. So the same like you don't have massive pleasure when you pull up at a gas station and you fill up your car with fuel. It's not like this deep, sensational, pleasurable experience. You do what you got to do and then you continue going further. Same as they're eating. It's not like when, because when you're obsessed with higher things, you're not paying so much attention to the sensation that happens in the food and if that's the case then you eat healthy because you're only eating your intentions in eating is to serve your creator to be a healthy human being so then it's not your primary element in the food is to be fed and to be nourished not to enjoy and then you're being more careful with the food that you eat. and even that is not just to be a healthy human being so that i can live longer or that i can look good but rather why do i want to be healthy because I know I can only fulfill my purpose in this world in serving my creator and realizing what God wants of me if I'm healthy. And prolonging our life in this world is a mitzvah because as impactful as we are as a soul, it can't come anywhere near to the impact we have when our soul is enclosed in a body in this physical world. That's when we every action of us has infinite repercussions. So this is like the most potent time is when we're enclosed in a body. So it's our responsibility to make sure that our soul is enclosed in our body for a long time. And that obviously is very much related to healthy eating, healthy habits. So the tzaddik, who's concerned mainly with serving God, eats to the satiation of his soul. 
However, the, the, the stomach of the wicked Texar is lacking. Um, meaning is what is the meaning? How they so the the, the Mitsudes, for instance, says. I have a lot of shame, but the wicked yisangu bachilas madanim indulge in eating all kinds of delicacies, mesukim things that are sweet, varevim and things that are 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 you know feel good to the palate. The tamed bitnei chaser and he's always hungry. Kedavka lebesima shchicha v'yochal oid lamaloisa. Because since kedavka lebesima shchicha v'yochal oid lamaloisa, if it's all about just the enjoyment, so you're always looking to satiate it. So basically, the person is never, never satisfied. If you're eating to be healthy, you eat, and fine, now you're good. But if you're eating just for the sensations, it is always that that extra cookie that you want to stuff because there is a little more room for pleasure. That's the simple meaning of this verse. So this verse, according to that, is referring to one form of eating that is holy and the other form of eating that is unholy. What we are going to do right now is we're going to lift and 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 elevate this this verse to a higher notch, to a higher level, and we're going to and and the the deeper meaning, according to the mystical interpretation, is that both of these forms of eating are holy eatings. It's just that there is the lower form of eating that we mentioned earlier, the eating of the the altar, the eating of the mizbeach. And then there is the higher form of eating, which is the eating of the of the kohen, the eating of the priest. So let's see. So how would that mean? That would mean as follows: tzaddik that tzaddik eats to the satiation of his soul is the is the higher form of eating. Better taksar is also an appropriate form of eating. The stomach of the wicked is empty. Is also a form of eating. But over here, the intention of the eating of the food, as we're soon going to see, is to empty the belly of the wicked. So we're going to explain that in a few minutes, but it's that too is a form of divine service. And truth is, it's the intention, it's the holy intention that all people are capable of when they are eating, is to empty the belly of the wicked. This concept that we want to empty the belly of the wicked. Is also discussed in another verse in Job in Eiv. In Eiv it says in Job twenty in Eiv Perek Chaf Pasuk Tezvav Job um, um, chapter twenty verse fifteen Chayil Bala Vayakieno Vakieno a wealth great wealth he has swallowed. Vayakieno, and then he has to vomit it. He has to bring it up and spit it out. From his belly, God impoverishes him. Which means that there is a lot of stolen goods in the belly of the unholy. And the work over here is to cause the unholy, the wicked entity within the world to to release and to, um, well, you might say, what it says over here, to um, vomit up the holiness that it has taken and to extract it. And when it extracts it, that that's what we mean over here earlier in the other verse. The stomach of the wicked should be lacking. It's with the intentions to empty out the unholy.
Okay, so to understand this, let's just briefly do it as follows. God created a world, and um, in the world that God created, the creation is created in a way in which it obscures and it hides the divine investment that God invested within creation. That means that God shrouded himself in this creation that he created. So when we look at the world, it is not obvious that there is a creative life force that's creating everything. And that there is divine energy pulsating in every cell, in every atom, in every which is its entire existence. So much so that this obscurity and the cover-up of the divine becomes so thick and thick and thick. It doesn't begin down here in this world. It starts off in the higher realms. It gets thicker and thicker and thicker till it comes down to our world where God is so concealed and so hidden that one can even choose evil or one can choose to ignore God completely. And this is the concept related to the idea of a mixture of good and bad. The good that's within the world is the divine energy that is buried in each creature and in all beings. And the bad that's on it is the concealment, the blockage that conceals and blocks and makes creation feel separate. When we say it's bad, it means it's not inherently bad because God created it too. But it's not the intention that God wants the creation to remain in, although that he created it. He wants us to crack that shell. He wants us to remove the obscuring force and uncover the divine truth that's in every creature. Now, in mystical terminology, this has something to do with what's called sparks of holiness. That there are sparks of holiness embedded in all of creation and all places. And our work is sifting through the sparks of holiness, removing the outer husk and uncovering the inner shell of holiness and godliness that's in it. So one of the, and this is something that is an exercise that according to the mystics is the 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 work of all of humanity and all of the world until the coming of Mashiach. I do have to make note immediately now that the Lubavitcher Rebbe told us already 30 years ago that this task as a whole, as it applies to the universe and to creation as a whole, has already been completed has already been completed in in um, in its in its in its fullest, and the world is already ready for the revelation of God within this world. That is um, that is the the the, um, the the statement the Rebbe made. So it really really means that we, as mentioned in the beginning of the class. It is our opportunity today to be able to eat on the on the higher form of eating. Because the lower form of eating that we were talking about is a form of eating of extraction, where the point of eating would be to sift, to break the outer shell that conceals and obscures God, and to take the inner light and energy that's within the food that's there to uncover it, to unobscure it, to unblock it, retrieve it, and return, as we call this, expose the spark and therefore cause the spark to be reunited with the greater, with the greater, higher oneness of God. You see, as long as the sparks of holiness are obscured and hidden, we have a world of duality. We have a world of multiplicity 
a world that is not singular and unified in one unity and one and oneness because the energy of the divine is obscured and blocked which allows for the multitudes of beings to claim existence on their own so when you look around you see there are many 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 entities it means many existences it's not all unified in one harmonious singular truth it's all fragmented and separated so the work of uncovering the sparks is really to bring out the intrinsic unity that is that is in all of existence and that's the job of the jewish people we, we and the descendants of abraham avram avinu was the man who proclaimed the first hashem echad god is one god is the reality of all of creation and all of the world one singular being creating it all he's expressing himself in the multitudes of creations but it's all one singular power one singular force and uh, these are all the multifaceted expressions of his infinite potential but it's really all one and that's the echad and we as jews the continuity or the continuation the the carriers of avram's teachings to the world were disseminated across the entire world to reach the four corners of the earth and thereby reveal the oneness now how do we interact with the world let's say i myself know the truth of god's unity and oneness but the material of the world is created is in a state where it's obscuring it where there is a mixture of good and bad and this has to do a lot with the sin of the eating from the tree of knowledge which you might be familiar with the idea is that since we then since Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, they caused a mixture of good and bad, which means they intensified, they intensified by them disregarding God's commandment, they validated the concealment. They validated that there's a power other than God, thereby, or seemingly other than God, they intensified the husk and the cover-up. And that's the idea that the things became mixed, good and bad. So now we go into the tedious work of extracting the divine potential in every creature and every being. So how is it done? Many ways. But one of the ways in which we really impact everything in this world is by releasing the energy, is by doing a surgical operation, which means when we pick up an apple, or we pick up a potato, which naturally doesn't sing God's tune, it's not saying that God is my power, God is my reality, but we approach it with a higher sense of a higher consciousness, with a higher awareness, which means in my mind and in my heart, I feel the divine truth. And now I come into contact with a physical entity in this world that is not projecting that truth. So now there is a conflict going on the, with the messaging that's coming from this object, from the potato, the fruit, or whatever it is that I have, with my projection that I am projecting. Here there's a conflict. I am declaring there's none but him. The potato is declaring I exist. Now when you say it's not saying it with words, but by merely by being part of a physical existence in which when we look at the physical, we don't see energy. And as a result of that, really, if the if the potato is a creation of God, shouldn't we ask permission first from God if I can eat it? It's God's. He created it. Why doesn't even it occur to us that we have to ask permission? Why is it so so natural to us to slice that potato up, to peel it, to throw it in a frying pan, or cook it up and put it through what it is, and then gobble it up and eat it? What gives me the right to do that? Oh, so I have to really ask that question. 
And what's the answer? The answer is that God gave me permission. Why did God give me permission? Because when I will interact with this potato and I will take it, eat it, then its energy will go into my body, become part of my bloodstream, and it will fuel, give me fuel. And then I can further revealing God's name in this world. Because the potato couldn't do it on its own. The human being could do it. We can go around. Now, the potato can, is also a, is the potato, the apple, the green beans, the barley, the wheat, whatever it is that it is that you're eating, the quinoa, whatever it is that you're eating. All this, these foods, they become partners with us. It itself doesn't have the ability to undo its own husk. But we humans, with our mindfulness, could do that by involving them all in the service of Hashem. So, but here's the thing. There is a dialogue going on. It might not be conscious, but there is an exchange going on every time you sit down to the dinner table. There is your consciousness and the consciousness emanating or the messaging that's being emanated from the delicious food. If the food is just, the plate is all this delicious food, which could provide physical pleasure, which has just a physical sensation, which doesn't in any way recognize or declare or speak of a purpose. It's just enjoyment. Let's enjoy. Let's enjoy. Let's have a good time. The food is inviting us into the experience devoid of anything godly and holy, just a physical sensation. It is speaking to you. It is alluring you. And if the food is tasty, enticing, and here's the thing, we got to be very careful because if when I'm approaching the food, I am not in a higher state of consciousness, but rather I'm in an, I have a perspective, a very animalistic perspective, hedonistic perspective to life. In other words, I didn't work on myself to uncover a higher, a higher self. I'm living on the superficial natural state without imbuing my physical consciousness with higher purpose and meaning with the awareness of a deeper truth. So then when the food, I meet the food, the food immediately stimulates and awakens my animalistic cravings and urges. And I dive into the food and I'm just enjoying it. Then I've bought into the lie. And now what happens is two things are happening. Number one, the person at this moment is furthering the idea that there is, there is existence outside of God. Because at this moment, you're forgetting the God's unity. And being that you're a human being, so when you're putting your stamp on, on that non-godly um, phenomenon, that, that deceptive lie, you're basically giving, it's almost like you're signing, that the you know, person puts a signature to, to, this, to this ideology, to this life view, view of life that existence is devoid of a higher purpose and that strengthens the unholy because you're a holy soul and if a holy soul is buying into the darkness that is really 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 not good and more than that what happens is now in turn the food does a job once the food which is eaten in an unholy way enters into the person's bloodstream and into their and and, and which your bloodstream is kind of what mixes into your soul consciousness and, so, and suddenly, the person becomes more prone to disregard, to become more prone to disregard holiness. And that's why one becomes more predisposed to sin 
the more indulgent the person becomes in the material pleasures of physical enjoyments of eating without a higher purpose. So that is the situation that's there. So that would be the natural eating when it is not done the right way. But if I stop for a moment and I approach the food every time before I eat, I make sure first to heighten my spiritual awareness. And then I know that everything is created for a purpose. Then I know when I'm eating the food, I will eat and I will eat mindfully. The food should have designated to a purpose. So number one, I'm not going to eat what is unhealthy. Number two, even what is healthy, I'm directing with a consciousness and awareness that I'm here as a servant of God. I'm refueling myself so that I can serve God in a greater way. By doing that, I am cracking and breaking the darkness and I am uncovering God's unity in that food. And when I do it in the food, it's not just the food, but it's in the entire realm of physical existence. The physical world becomes less opaque, less blocking, less concealing. People that will, people will be less sinful on the other side of the planet because you've refined the husk. The husk is not so obscuring and so dark. That's just the way it works. And how much amount of eating does it have to be eaten with the proper intentions for the world to become thinned out, the clip of the unholy? Only God knows. But that's the process, the process. Through the consumption of food in the proper way, we elevate sparks of holiness. And the elevation means to reveal God's unity, to bring the world into a recognition, to change the nature of the physical world, that the physical material of the world should not obscure and block God, but rather should become first translucent and eventually transparent so that we can literally look at physicality and see the oneness of God shining through it in the days of Mashiach. And it will be a, as a result, of course, of all the mitzvot that we do, but also of every of all the proper holy eatings in which we've eaten, and all that has done such a phenomenal job in, purif in purifying the material world to reveal the oneness. Now, that kind of eating is considered the eating of the altar. Because when we did that, now the strongest demonstration of that kind of elevation was done in, in the in the Mizbeach. Because they took an animal. An animal is part of the world that is that doesn't know God. Because as we spoke earlier, physicality, including animal, vegetable, and mineral, is trapped in the trappings of divine concealment, and it cannot do anything to liberate itself. A cow can't do it. A bird can't do it. And a sheep can't do it. Not they, they, They're incapable. The human being could elevate it. So what was the demonstration, the clearest demonstration of this elevation? Was when the human took an animal based on the instruction of Torah, which means the instruction of God, the creator of the animal. And then the person brought it to the holy temple and took this animal who is living in a state and its existence that is unaware of a higher unity. And this animal is offered up in the holy temple and its life, which is in its blood, is then sprinkled on the holy temple, which means it's it's being surrendered to its creator. And then the, the flesh of it is being put on the altar. And, and when it goes on the altar, it becomes, it gets burnt in the holy fire, which is the divine energy, which is literally godly, a, a, a descent of Hashem into this world, which means something that was once separated and apart from God now becomes part of the fire, which means it gets reabsorbed in God. That is the idea 
it's physically demonstrated how we took something from a separate state to a state of and integrating it back into the unity and into the oneness. This is the meaning of, as we said earlier, beten rishoyim techsar, the stomach of the wicked gets la- is lacking, which means gets emptied out, or chayil bola, the wealth it has swallowed v'yakienu. What does that mean? All this rich deposit of holy energy that has been encased, locked, robbed by the snake. The snake crept up on Chava, and he convinced her to eat from the tree of knowledge. He crept up on Eve, and Adam and Eve, and they endorsed the snake's view. By doing that, they pumped enormous nuclear energy, divine, infinite, powerful energies. They deposited into the belly of the snake, the snake being metaphoric for the forces that conceal God. And that's when they became enormously enriched to perpetuate their lie, the lie of duality, the lie of separation. There is existence other than Hashem. We have to now empty the belly of the snake, empty the belly of the wicked, piece by piece, potato by potato, cherry by cherry, cucumber by cucumber, apple by apple. Every, um, again, I'm, I'm talking about the realm of food because we're talking about eating, but it also extends to all the other usage in which we use the material elements in life in order to live. We are consumers of energy and consumers of material. When we do them for the right purposes, we are continuously to empty out the unholy from its robbed, from its loot. It looted holiness, and now it must give back the booty. It must give back that which is it has stolen. That is the process of this form of eating. Now, this form of eating, as we said, is a struggle because we have an uh, we have there's a part of us that very much resonates with the snake, with the unholy. In other words, the food, you know, naturally, if we don't approach it mindfully, if we don't work hard, and that's why it says you're not allowed to eat before you pray. According to halacha, one shouldn't eat anything before they pray. And the reason for that is if you do not inhale your soul deeply, we're all born with a potential for spiritual consciousness because we have a holy soul. But if we don't activate our soul by through in, through particular intention, we don't do that. So what happens is it says that the soul stays at the tip of our nose, which means God blew the soul in through the nose, through the nose. The soul is at the tip of your nose, meaning you know you're not making it an effort to 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 ingest or to take in to inhale the higher consciousness that the divine consciousness the higher truth so what happens is we 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 our natural consciousness is one of our animal animal outer shell and our inner shell and therefore if we don't pray we're not allowed to eat if we're eating it's not going to be of a holy nature it's going to be perpetuating and further endorsing that which is unholy. It's going to be a continuation of the pluralism in the world, not of the unity. It's not going to be a demonstration of unity. We're not drawing anything in. Quite on the contrary, we're splintering ourselves more into the into the fragmentation, into the manyness of 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 into the into into the realm of idolatry into the realm of the, into the realm of there is existence other than god 
We're investing in that and that worldview. What are we investing pieces of ourselves into it? So we're splintering ourselves and fragmenting ourselves more and more and more into the fragmented world. But when we pray first and we fill our, and the epic element of the prayer is the statement of God, God is one. And then when we have a very strong resolve that everything, when we open and we say that with closed eyes, because when we look at the world that is so diverse, sometimes we can forget the unity. So we firmly etch our mind that there is one singular source that's creating and sustaining and making all of existence every second. When we fully grasp that and integrate that, and then we venture into the world, then we draw, we become like this powerful vacuum. And we vacuum and we pull like a suction. And we pull everything from its multiplicity into the unity. And then we are acting like the altar. Because it's going from a state of separation to a state of oneness. That is the purpose of eating. But then there is a higher level of eating. And what is the higher level of eating? So mystically, let me just give a little bit of a mystical something. This type of eating is considered in the, by the Kabbalists is the eating of the Shekhinah. We're lifting up the sparks of holiness from this lowly world. We're retrieving them by returning them into the unity is we're bringing them back to the source of creation. What's the source of creation? The Shekhinah, which mystically is associated with what's called the Malchut, the power of kingship, God's kingship, which is the force of God that he invests within the world. We are returning all the sparks into the Malchut into back to the surrender, bringing it back to the king, to the origins of creation. And therefore, everything is going back into that unity. Now, malchut, however, kingship, is the lowest one of the divine attributes. And that's why in the holy temple, when this whole process of, of, um, of eating, of, of sacrifices, which our eating today is in the place of the altar as we said earlier the table of a person is considered the altar it's considered the mizbeah so the altar was not inside the sanctuary it was in the outer courtyard now we know that beyond beyond the courtyard there was a the actual building of the temple of the base amigdash what's called the kodesh the holy so we're not even yet in the realms of holy we're still in the courtyard of holy then there is the holy, and then there is the holy of holies. Now, why, if the altar is the suction of taking everything out from the outside realm and returning it back into holiness, why, why isn't that taking place in the inner sanctuary? Why is that taking place outside in the courtyard? And the answer to that is that the entire, even when you have a creation that is in a state of recognition of the one God that's creating it all. And all creatures are here recognizing their creator and in complete submission to the creator that is only interacting with God as God is going, so to speak, stepping out of himself to sustain a creation. So it's therefore it's taking place in the, in the, in the courtyard because the courtyard is not inside God's world. It's like he's stepping out into our world. Because the meaning over here is God created a world. What are we surrendering to? What are we acknowledging? Is exactly that. God created a world. 
that he is the power when he created the world means he is the true power of the world but there is a world that he's investing himself in so then the the nature of existence is at least our existence is it's our world the power behind it is god and therefore we ought to be in a state of unification and surrender to his will because without his will and his desire we don't exist so we ought to be in 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 service of him that's the consciousness of the courtyard but then there is a much much higher level and that is as god exists for himself and that is represented in the inner room in the inner chamber and then of course in the holy of the holies over there is god as he is that is utterly infinite and and and, and boundless now, I'm not going to get into all these differentiations and differences. I just wanted to share this idea that even when we bring things into the state of holiness, we're still only in the courtyard, and that's considered a lower form of consciousness. In the statement, in the in the um, uh, mystical terminology, that is called Yehuda Tata, the lower unity. The lower unity is the consciousness of creation. The unity, the holy consciousness of a creation. Is that there is a creation and there is god who is the superpower in the creation and we are recognizing the superpower of god in the creation and surrendering to him the higher unity the lower unity but then there is a much deeper unity and that's called the higher unity and the higher unity is an is a certain is a consciousness that is not being looking from the outside in the lower unity is looking from the outside in after we are created and we are all given a sense of separateness. We probe and we ask and we wonder where we come from. And then we open up our eyes and we suddenly recognize that there is a singular being that's creating us all. And from the perspective of beingness, we recognize that there is a force that's beyond our being that is not that we can't define, that is infinite, that is beyond description. And that's a singular power that is the power beyond everything. Who and what that power is, we don't know. We know it's a power. We know it's an enormous power, but we also know that it's above and beyond us. And it is responsible for creating us, making us, and giving us existence. And when we are the way we ought to be, we are in service of that power. Now, in the Torah, we get instruction of how that infinite power wants us to live, but we still don't know that power intimately because we cannot know it because it's divine, it's God, and we are creations. So it's almost like a creation knowing its creator, but how can a creation know its creator? We can know that we have a creator, but we're not looking at it from the true perspective of the creator itself. But now let's flip it on the other side and let's enter into God's, into the creator itself, which is God himself who is emanating a world. Now for God, the emanator and the creator, he sees that his energy is all there is not that he is creating something he can see and experience that there is nothing to anything that's not him because he is power he is reality he is existence now if we are to be able to make that quantum break to break out from being a creation and enter into the consciousness of the creator itself and thereby, by looking at the creation from God's perspective, from the inside, from the from the energy's perspective, not from the product that's being produced. God creates a world, something from nothing. 
we're talking about the the something looking at the nothing and therefore analyzing the nothing and seeing and and having to admit that the power that's creating me is called nothing because we have no grasp on it so it's nothingness so it's still beyond us but if let's say the perspective of the nothing looking outward to him it's the opposite he is the something and all what all all what is being projected is really nothing what do you mean nothing he's creating it the time and space that he's creating is time and space but it 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 it, it doesn't have an existence even for a split even for a millisecond other than the fact that he's wishing it into existence so therefore the only reality is really only him and he knows himself who he is he knows the infinite knows his power knows that intrinsically wow so from that perspective the you that's called the higher unity from there the 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 the, the power that there is none by but him is infinitely clearer and infinitely sharper and endlessly what we say truer than when you're looking at it from the outside and even if you're in a healthy state of mind in a holy state of a creation so create so let's say angels that we spoke about before angels are stuck in the created zone they are holy they're not opaque they're not under the spell of the klipa like we are and that's why they're not engaged in eating because they don't live in the darkness that we live and we're the only they're the only ones that can vote talk about voting because it's election day tomorrow the only ones who can vote are citizens of a certain city right we see if you're a citizen that's supposed to be that illegal should not be able to vote because they're not legal in this country they have no right to make to cast a vote you have to be legal if you're legal you can vote which means you have to be a legal citizen of this place i can't vote for a race in new jersey because i live in, in, in los angeles i can go out and vote over here in california so in order to be able to cast a vote if you're voting for unity or if you're voting for for um fragmentation for duality the only way to do that is to be a citizen of the space where it's a question if you're in the zone then you can you have a choice you can you're you're a you, you can decide what you see is true so therefore only human beings incorporated in bodies being that we have both perspectives we can vote blue or red democratic or republican in our case that's going on now so you have the options we can vote the godly or we can vote the creation the the unholy perspective so we can, angels they're living they're not citizens of the darkness so they don't get a vote but even when they're living in light they're not living in ultimate truth they are still living within the construct of time and space because they are creations and here is an amazing secret the soul the soul is really a being that is not a creation souls are higher than angels souls are a little piece of god from above which means they are the energy itself they're not the product of that energy the angel is the product of the energy creating something the soul is not a product of the energy the soul is the energy itself the creator the infinite power of god is the soul however 
when the soul would be an infinite extension of God, and if it would experience itself as an infinite extension of God, then it would not be able to enter the darkness of the world and cast a vote and be part of this whole voting scheme of deciding right and wrong, correct, unity or duality. The soul would not be able to because it would be just a, it would be God voting for himself without any choice. It would just be clearly an extension of God's truth. We would see through the darkness to the point that the darkness wouldn't even exist. So therefore the soul's vision and experience has to be blocked and obscured. So what happens to the soul? The soul becomes a creation. The energy itself becomes a creation. When we say it becomes a creation means it's creation consciousness is superimposed on really someone who is really God. And that's the uniqueness of the soul. Because the soul is not a creation. The soul, the chelik lekaim imal, talking about the unique, holy, and ultimately the Jewish soul, is a piece of God above that has entered into this world and it has been superimposed upon it that it is a creation that it is, and therefore it experiences itself through the lens and looks at the world through the lens of a creation. But at its core, it can rise beyond that. And that was what happened to the high, to the to the priests who officiated in the temple. When you stood on the temple ground and you were and you were chosen and you had the capacity of a Kohen, you were able to shed from within yourself the soul the soul outer encasement of soul of of creation consciousness and you were able to re-enter into a state of being unified and then the in a sense this is a, a a very radical statement that i'm saying but that's the way the mystics teach the kohanim when they officiated in the holy temple were in a state it's almost like they transcended the state of creation consciousness and reverted back to them being an extent a, a, a the energy of the creator itself meaning being divine beings and when they were eating the the carbon it was not a human form of eating and it wasn't even a creation surrendering itself completely to the creator like we spoke earlier about eating but it was rather an experience of God Himself eating, the the eating of the of the priests were or it and it therefore it, it its impact was as these kohanim that are enclosed in physical flesh and blood were eating the sacrifices, they were there the impact that it was having having in the spiritual spheres above is that at this moment God Himself was eating. Now, what in the world does it mean that God is eating? We spoke earlier that we need to eat, and we also understood the higher spiritual purpose of eating. But why would God need to eat? So the answer to that is that besides this purification and separation that happens as a result of food, there is another element that comes about through eating. And that is, as we know, that when we eat, our soul, um, our energy settles down in our body. Without food, the soul departs the body. And food keeps the soul anchored down in the body. So if we can translate that into a into the higher spheres, God manifests on two levels. 
One is beyond the relationship with the creation, where God is infinite, unknowable, undefinable, without any definitions, without any 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 character, without beyond all characterization, without all any define, definable personality. He just is in his essential infinity and beyond. And then there is the God who lowers himself down to become, to be personable with the creation. And that is Hashem, as the Torah refers to him, as a benevolent king, as a wise ruler, as an intelligent being, as a compassionate being, as a loving father, as a, as a, as a merciful, compassionate shepherd, as a um um as a strict ruler and judge in which he judges the world and so on and so forth all these are true but these are all already hashem assuming and descending into a projected human form it's kabbalistic terminology that is called this the the zeir anpin which means the small face of god there is the enormous infinite endless boundless god where god is making but then there is the small face of god where god lowers himself down into an interactable entity and from there from that place he creates the world sustains the world now that feature and that state of form and 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 definition is considered his body it's like he's putting on a suit it's him, it's nothing other than him, but it's him formulating into a certain state of, of, of definition. And in Kabbalistic terminology, it means he comes down into the vessels, into the containers. Sometimes those containers are considered his body. Now, what did we say earlier? Without food, what happens to the soul? The soul departs the body. So the same above is also possible that the infinite naturally why should it invest itself and clothe itself in its body in the relationship in the world when it might naturally want to re retract into god's infinite unknowable secluded beyond state and that's the function of divine eating when hashem is eating what that means is there is something that's pulling his infinite otherwise otherwise infinite private secluded endless boundless unknowable energy down into god as god can be which means to invigorate and animate all the sephirot the infinite intelligence of god being that its intelligence is already considered a container and a vessel so for that the energy has to descend limitless into the into a state of intelligence and into a state of love and into a state of kindness and into a state of compassion and which is what we call the human form god calls himself also a human in general like the when the prophets saw the, the divine vision they saw god as a human now one of the factors that cause that make food connect the soul and body connect interesting is the pleasure that's in food the pleasure that's in food pleasure reaches very very high into the soul itself meaning the soul before it descends in the body when the soul is in its retracted um, um above vessel state 
its inner core pleasure is a factor how can pleasure be a factor if pleasure is already a definition that's a discussion i'm not going to get into it right now but pleasure is a a life itself the soul life itself is pleasurable and therefore the mystics speak that the or in self the infinite light as it is in its essential state self is called the source of all pleasure and it has well might what we might understand is a infinite incomprehensible pleasure and therefore the experience of eating that brings the infinite being into the adam into the into the vessel into the container into the spherot into the attributes what causes it is related to the pleasure that there is in eating now the first of the ten vessels is chachma is wisdom as we discussed many times there's ten sephiro ten attributes and seven are our emotional attributes and three of them intellectual attributes the first of them is chachma and chachma which is wisdom and chachma is the point of contact the first vessel where the infinite enters now um chachma is generally in the brain but the lower It's, it's very interesting that the top of the mouth, where the palate is, right, up there, it's called the Chech. It's called Chech because Chech is similar to the word Chachma. Chach, Chech. And it has a Yud in it, Yud is Chachma. Which means that the power to taste, taste, which is where pleasure happens, is related to the, 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 the um the chachma experience and the descent of energy into chachma which causes pleasure like we see even intellectually that when a person has a new flash of insight chachma is a first epiphany so then there is an enormous pleasure involved in that experience which means that when the pre-energy the energy of the soul that is beyond intelligence lowers itself down into the power of intelligence it is it is a an experience amount of pleasure in food in the eating process the the chech, the, the palate is associated with chachma in general the mouth there's a lot of elements of chachma for example there are 32 teeth in the mouth and we know that 32 pathways of wisdom but the palate is the pleasure element of the chachma so therefore, we understand that eating on a very, 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 very infinitely, infinitely high godly level is the drawing down of the infinite, incomprehensible, boundless light of God to lower itself down into the entire order, into the divine being called the supernal Adam Elion, which means that God is taking, is infusing himself into a relationship with the creation. Now that's what happened when the Kohanim eat. So it's a whole different eating of the altar. The state of eating of the altar the, is a state of submission, is really coming from an outsider's perspective, a creation that is existing outside of God, a creation that is lost, a creation that is 
um, confused, is trying to clarify within itself and trying to, to, to figure out truth from non-truth. And the eating process is, an, is, a, is a process associated with that purification. And that's the eating of the altar. So it's a creation form of eating. It's a holy eating, but it's a creation form. And when the energy rises, it re- rises until Malchut, because Malchut is the source of the creation. But it doesn't touch the levels that are higher than Malchut, which is the levels of God's private self. The eating of the Kohen was on a whole different level, which means the Kohanim. So let me put it this way. When we are in a holy state of eating, but on the lower level, then we are still living in creation consciousness. We have not opened our soul open up. We haven't tapped our soul's ultimate capacity to exit the entire realm of creation and rather be the insert the 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 the, the um the uh, extension of the divine within the world but rather our soul is operating still outside of that in its outer encasement but with and out of its out of encasement it's coming the closest it can as a creation to its creator but it's still from the outside the Kohanim, when they stood in the temple and they were in their highest state of consciousness, exited creation consciousness, and then they, their souls being one with God itself, were now eating food as if God himself is eating. And as that was happening, the infinite boundless pleasure of God was flowing into the sephirot and attributes and keeping God anchored down into the world. So it's a much higher eating than the than the altar. Now, in in on a small on somewhat of a level, that's the difference in our own experiences today between our Shabbos eating and our weekday eating. This that we spoke earlier, that we exist both as creations so that we can be involved in the process of purifying the world when the from the perspective from the perspective of the creation side so we have to join the experience of creations the we have to join in the in the in the outside perspective looking in from the outside and we help prod the world along by having a vote and not just voting ourselves but hopefully impacting the rest of the of the world to vote unity to vote for the king to vote for the singular source so in this process, this is what we do during the week. On Shabbos, everything is elevated. The worlds are elevated. Everything goes back higher and higher and higher into its source. It's almost like during the week, God projects the world at a distance from him. On Shabbos, Hashem ingests the world, brings the world back into it inside of him so everything in the world is holier on shabbos shabbos means return now one of the things that in, that return or one of the entities that return is obviously the, the soul itself returns so where does the soul go the soul goes back from playing creation into being what she truly is and that is nothing other than god itself so the soul during the week we are lower than the angels on shabbos we are much higher than the angels that's why the angels accompany us on shabbos 
because they are now our servants when we come home to the Friday night meal. They are much lower than the than the than the Jew who is coming to his Shabbos meal. And one of the most highest things we do on Shabbos is we eat. Because on Shabbos, when we are eating, we are exactly in the same place like the Kohanim when they stood in the holy temple. But you'll argue we're not in the temple, we're in we're on not on sacred ground. On Shabbos, the whole world is sacred ground. The world is transformed. You're no more in the world of, of a mix-up where good and evil is mixed together and you have to sort things out. <coughs> what happens on Shabbos is the good separates from the evil, from the negativity, good and bad, and the food is no more a mixture of good and bad. It's almost like what happens is on Shabbos, the world is a mini Mashiach world. That's why Shabbos is called a little piece of the future. So on Shabbos, what's going to be in the future? After the world is completely rectified, and after all the, we voted God in, and the Kalipa has been voted out, we emptied the stomach of the unholy. So then what happens? Um, there won't be any more to sorting to do. There won't be any more separation. So what is going to be the function of eating after, after Mashiach comes? When after Mashiach comes, we are all going to be elevated to the status of divine beings. But being that we are encased in bodies, we will help facilitate encasing God in a body. What does that mean? It means to increase the divine infusement in the world. That God should get involved in creation from a deeper, deeper place continuously. We are channeling and engaging him and drawing him out more and more and more into the world, into his creation. And obviously on those levels, the creation will fade away from being a creation. It will just be just all included in God's unity. But the promoters and the most will be obviously the, 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 the human and the process of it is in, is during the, is in the eating because in the eating we're connecting the abstract and directing it bringing it into the pleasure itself which happens on Shabbos when we're eating the food that's why the main thing on Shabbos are the Shabbos meals and during our Shabbos meals for those who follow the more mystical uh, traditions of the holy ari hasidic custom is we read a special song and we say we invite to the meal we're inviting, and who do we invite to the meal? We say a whole bunch of mystical concepts, but one of the things we say, we say the apple orchard, which is referring to the Shekhinah, whose air anpin is at the meal, and then we say the Atika Kadisha. The order is switched switch by all the meals, but Atika Kadika means, Atika Kadisha means the ancient of days. Ancient of days means the infinity of God, as God is ancient, meaning uninvolved with the world, as he is utterly private to himself, and yet even him, we channel him into the creation. So let me put it in the words of the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. He says, the reason we eat on Shabbos is because on Shabbos, the energy of all of the cosmos is in a state of such return. Everything is, God is, in, is bringing everything back in the, in the week that he projects the world out. On Shabbos, the energies are all returning. It's like when a person relaxes, the energies go back into himself. So the cosmic energy is going higher and higher. There is a danger that God will completely retract into himself and the creations will shut down completely. There will be no creation at all. So to save the planet, we eat by eating, 
we are directing infinite pleasure into the body and into the higher spiritual infinite cosmic body and that's why on shabbos it is far more it's not only okay in the weekday we got to be very weary from enjoying the food that we eat because when we enjoy food it's it 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 takes us away from the mindfulness of of the purpose of surrendering ourselves to the to the higher purpose and as we become the the, the pleasure of the food can start becoming self-serving and not for a higher purpose so the energy of the food is easier to direct towards holiness but once you're getting into the realms of pleasure it's very possible to get lost and that pleasure being that we are in a created conscious state then it would be a pleasure of a creation unrelated to god and it would not be it would not serve a purpose so we are recommend we are it is recommended in hasidic literature and in deeper mystical learning that during the week one does not make a to-do about the pleasure. Oh, if you have pleasure, that's okay, and thank God for the pleasure, but don't get into it. On Shabbos, we have to make sure the food is pleasurable, and we are we are recommended and commended to have pleasure in the food that we eat, and the pleasure that which we are eating, which we are experiencing in our physical bodies, is divine. That's really crazy. It's a divine pleasure. It's not a, because at this moment, on Shabbos, our souls have become so reabsorbed in the infinite that we are no more a creation looking at the create at, at the creator from the outside in. We're looking at it from the inside out. And we are the flow of the divine within the world. And that pleasure is a godly pleasure. And not only that, it is saving the world because it is directing God to be infused within the world through the pleasure. And that's the deeper meaning of what we spoke earlier in the verse, when the verse says tzaddik, the righteous one, eats to the satiation of his soul. What does that mean? The soul is the soul of creation. The satiation of the soul is channeling the infinite down through the eating. It's drawing down from the supernal light into the Adam alien, into the supernal uh, human above, from beyond human into the human. It's an enormous idea of that kind of eating. Now, here's a here's a, a another amazing thought that for us we are capable of that on Shabbos. But here's 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 the condition. In order that we should ascend into that higher state of existence, requires now you realize this transformation of us going from a, a created state for our souls to break and shed the creation element true it's superimposed upon us but it becomes very much our state of consciousness and awareness so for us to be able to undo that and to just become a extension of the infinite into this world is an enormous um quantum leap much higher than the higher consciousness consciousness that we and the, that we attain during the week so if during the weekdays a pre a prerequisite for holy eating is to pray on shabbos the the prayer is even a greater prerequisite for eating but it's a different type of eating so it's a different type of prayer the prayer during the week 
is to be able to for us to exit the unholy perspective, the ego, and and state of utter separateness, the state of duality into a state of oneness. So that's during the week. So we have to fight the animalistic side of ourselves during the week. And there's a war going on during prayer because naturally we're inclined to see the world from a very, very unholy place. And through the saying and, and meditation and prayer, we clarify and we bring out an, a, 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 an awareness of unity of oneness. On Shabbos, the world, we start off in a place of unity. Because on Shabbos, the worlds are elevated into a state of unity. The klipa gets chased away. That's what it says. On the, right before Shabbos, God whips, takes, there's a spiritual, a holy whip. It whips the klipa and the klipa separates. So creation as a whole enters into holiness. It's not felt on the most external, external, superficial level of existence. That's why you might open up your phone or news or the radio or whatever after Shabbos and find out that so-and-so committed a crime and this person burglarized and this person, uh, you know, God forbid there was a murder that was committed or some other sinful and people can do stuff that are very, so how can that be if there's no more klipa? The answer is on the most external, superficial, outer, outer, outer layer level of, of, of existence, this inner transformation is not felt, felt and seen because if it was, then we would to be we wouldn't have free choice. So on the most external outer outer layer, we can still perpetuate the lie even on Shabbos. And it's not felt. But a little bit deeper, and if you're tuning in a little bit into spirituality, you feel so different than Shabbos. Everything is so different than Shabbos. Because the, the nature of existence has changed. So when you're starting off on Shabbos, your place of origin from where you start open up your prayer book, you're already way beyond you are that you can achieve during the week after prayer. In other words, the pre-prayer on Shabbos, you're already in a higher level of consciousness than you are after prayer during the week. So what happens when you're praying on Shabbos? When you're praying on Shabbos, you are opening yourself up to the infinite potential. It's not, it's not a struggle. It's just... In order for a person to, to, to like move from their outer in case state of, of, of being a creation and to experience themselves for who you really are, and that is a, 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 a ray of the infinite, a spark of the infinite means a piece of the infinite, which really is of the substance of the infinite, we just have to like allow that to happen. To allow, in other words, it happens intrinsically. But for us to, in our physical beings, to be aware of it, we have to like allow ourselves to enter into a higher, a higher. It's not doesn't come through a struggle, but it almost comes like you allow yourself to melt into the prayers of Shabbos. As you start praying on Shabbos, you just open yourself up and allow yourselves to hear the words and the meaning of the words, elevate the soul and elevate the soul, where suddenly a person can be included your soul joins into the infinite light of god and from that perspective when you're eating on shabbos you're eating not as a human being you can eat as a divine being 
This is so phenomenal. Now, where do we see, you know, the Kohen in the temple, who when they ate was on this higher level of eating, also needed a preparation. What was the preparation that the Kohen needed? When the Kohanim didn't enter, and didn't snap into this consciousness immediately. When the, before they started eating the sacrificial meat, they made a blessing. And they said, Blessed are you, God, the God, uh, uh, the King of the universe, that you have sanctified us with your mitzvahs to eat the, the sacrificial meat. What is the meaning of that blessing? Baruch Atta doesn't just mean blessed are you. It means Baruch, it means opening up a revelation. Baruch means to draw forth. Baruch Atta Avaya. Hashem, drawing forth, I am opening up a channel of Yudke Vavke, of the infinite God, Elokeinu, to become, in, in, integrate, to open itself up, Elokeinu, into me, my God, so that now that you've sanctified us in your mitzvahs, which means you have integrated me into you, so now when I am eating, this will be you eating God. So the Kohen needed a special assistance from above, to also extract the creation outer encasement and allow to free the inner kernel of the soul of the coin to manifest as a manifestation of divine energy encased in a human body. And then when the coin is eating, it's God eating, not the coin eating. Now, just like this was done in the holy temple, now where do we find this, this, this statement? Watch this in Samuel 1 and Shmuel Aleph, Pasuk Perik Tes. It says over here that when King Saul, Sholem Shol before he was king, was seeking out the, 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 the advice of the prophet Samuel, Shmuel. So it says he comes there and he's looking for him. I think the father, if he lost his donkeys and he needed, he needed mules, he needed some assistance, he came to the prophet to direct him where. And as he's coming to the city where Shmuel was, he meets these girls, Na'ares, uh, girls that are going out to draw water. All the good stories always out when the girls were going out to draw water. I think we should send the girls out a lot to draw water today's days again to the wells because all these amazing godly encounters take place when the girls are drawing the water. Moses encounters the daughters of Yisro. Yaakov encounters uh, uh, Rachel, Rachel and he gets married. Rivka next week in the Torah portion. So everything happens when the girls are going to draw the water. In any case, what happens over here, he meets these women, these girls, and he says to them, where is the prophet? And they say, yeah, go in. He says, when you come into the city, you'll find him. Before he goes up to the um, to the special uh, altar, before he goes to eat, because the people will not eat until he comes. They're waiting for Samuel, the priest. Why? With the Samuel the prophet. Because he is going to bless the sacrifice. And then the other invitees, all those that are invited, will eat. And as they can't eat until he, he eats. So what does that mean? What does it mean he will bless? People think that when something is kosher, people have this misconception that kosher means that a rabbi blesses the food. 
That's not what kosher means. As a rabbi is supervising to make sure that no kosher, non-kosher ingredients or that things should be made in a way that it passes the Jewish dietary law. So it doesn't mean the rabbi is blessing anything. But over here, actually, it does mean that, that Samuel had to bless the food first. What does that mean? So it's the same idea that we're talking about. You know, there are only very, very few super, super holy, righteous individuals whose souls never entered into created consciousness. They're born almost like on top of the mountain. They're not ordinary human beings. Their eyes and their vision and their perspective on existence is not the way we see it. They're completely, they're on the other side of the curtain. We all live with the partition blocking. So we all live our in creation kind. And I spoke about Shabbos, we're on the holy estate. That means it's true on the inner level, but to say that we're really conscious of it, I'm not. I don't know, maybe some others are, but you know, we're still, I mean, we're on a higher conscious or a higher level, but to be in a state where we're, we don't have any, any state of separateness, there's no ego at all, there's no separateness. I mean, what we're saying on Shabbos means we have, it's there in essence. But there are tzaddikim, there are holy, holy Jews who's, who exist in this world as literally a, 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 an expression of God manifesting in, in their, expressing himself through their souls in, in a body. And they don't have any consciousness of, of otherness at all. They were called in general the souls of Atzilot, the souls of the world of emanation. This is not, it might sound like a wild idea, but it's a very common concept in Kabbalistic writings, in the teachings of Ari, and especially in the Hasidic literature. This is the concept of the tzaddik, a, a farly higher type of a being, whose entire sense of reality is completely different than us. We live in distorted consciousness. They don't. They, they're living and looking, and their consciousness is higher than the angels, because angels are also creations. Now, in order for everybody else to participate in the eating of the sacrificial meat, which was this higher form of eating, higher than the eating of the altar that we spoke earlier, they needed a person who lived in that range to elevate them, as I spoke in the beginning of the class, so that they can hitch up with him and he can elevate their soul into the Shabbos mode, even though during it was during the week, or he can bring them into the temple, even though they were not Kohanim. This was the, 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 the Shmuel, the high prophet. He's called Shmuel Haroe. That means he lived in the highest levels of Chachma consciousness, which is total unification with God, where there is no separation at all. It's the higher unity. It's not the lower unity. Shmuel Anavi can live. Samuel lived in that, in that state. So when we pray on Shabbos, it's a form of doing what Samuel does, blessing the food. In other words, the prayer of Shabbos, which is longer than the prayer of the week, is basically one long blessing, blessing before we get to eat. In other words, in order to prepare us for the eating that takes place on Shabbos, where we can eat as divine beings, and that our eating should activate the descent of God, of the divine pleasure into, into, the, into the supernal man above, because we are him, we need to just create that space for allowing that consciousness to happen, to come upon us. And that happens through the deep prayer of Shabbos. It's not a struggle. There is no darkness. It's just opening up, allowing the deeper soul to emerge. That's all that it is.
In the weekday, there is actually klipa, there's actually darkness. There's a, now there isn't darkness. It's just a calm opening up of the soul, allowing the soul to shine from its inner core outward into our minds that we can hear our own soul. We can hear what the soul really knows. And our Shabbos soul is a soul that is not a creation, a soul that's still one with the infinite light. And then when we eat, we're eating on Shabbos level. Now, the people who are like Shmuel and Navi, the tzaddikim, they eat like this all week long. Obviously, they're eating on Shabbos is even higher. But they're able to live in this reality all week long. Now, based on all of that, we can, and when Mashiach comes, we're all going to be in that state as well. So now let's go back to the story with Abraham and the angels. The reason why it says that he stood over them and they ate because Abraham, Avram Avinu, elevated the angels into this state of existence. On their own, they can never exit their inherent state of creation. Because when they exit, if they are privy, if they were to transcend the creation state into the divine state, they cease to exist. Because they're not like a soul. They are inherently created beings, which means their existence begins when God wills them into, in other words, he's creating them something from nothing. His energy is producing an angel. So the angel is not the energy. It's a product of the energy, that the energy is creating the angel. The soul is different. Souls are transported from being God to becoming, becoming a creation. And therefore, since it's a becoming of creation, it doesn't define the soul at its core, even after the soul is a creation. For so the soul can enter and exit. To us, it's only on Shabbos. Or when we hitch a ride at the table of a tzaddik. And that's what happened with these angels. Because they were at, at Abraham's table, because they were under his tree, and it says he stood over them and they ate. And they never were able to eat like that ever again. And they never were able to eat like that before because ordinarily they don't eat because they can't vote, as we just talked earlier. They're not capable of giving, of deciding between the world of duality and the world of unity. And to the higher level of eating where their eating should cause God to eat, they're also not capable because they're not part of the divine realm. They're not of the divine. They are creation. But now when Abraham stood over them, Avram Avinu being the holiness that he was, he was able to pick them up that they too should be able to exit the creation state and enter into the divine state for those couple of moments. May we merit already. So here's the exercise. As we're coming into Mashiach's state of existence, let's become more cognizant of who we really are in our core, how godly and holy we really are. And after Mashiach comes, how we will, which is already now a truth, but not necessarily felt by us all, which we should open ourselves up more and more and more, is that we really are, at our core, nothing more than God filtering himself down into our bodies to be us. And therefore, every action that we do is not us, it's really Hashem. And as a result of that, we start taking ourselves very, very seriously about how we act and what we're doing because it's huge. You're not, see, not, not seriously in an egotistical way.
seriously by appreciating the enormity of who we are and what we are. And as a result of that, we're filled with infinite pleasure and infinite delight. And we always look at the Torah to find out if we are godly, how is God, how does God behave? What's God's mannerism? And then we should be exactly follow the mannerism of God because we really are him. Because if we're we are him and we don't follow his mannerisms and his ways, then we create enormous mess and we don't want to do that. So if we are him, let us really, really emulate him. We're not emulating, we're him, but know his ways. And the Torah teaches us his ways. So of course we're careful in kosher. Of course, but everything from this deepest, highest level of full fusion with Hashem. May we merit the time when we are fully cognizant and aware and we don't forget this even for a second and we become even more empowered and more enriched and more God, godly expressive every second continuously higher and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and no end may it be now